this is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We are kicking off a new series within Give Me Some Truth where we're going to be doing quarterly market reviews to give people a better idea of what happened the previous quarter. Uh, We are going to start this first one with going all the way back to January 1 of this year. Uh, And then from this point forward, it'll be following each quarter we'll do a review and uh, also kind of get into some topics that um, speak more to how we actually manage money, strategy, that kind of thing. Uh, We've been hearing back from some clients that they would appreciate that. And so we are hoping to be able to answer their questions in these quarterly market reviews. Yeah, we enjoy doing a bunch of lighthearted pontifications. Pontifications. I think that's right. Um, Is that right? Yeah. Um, Pretty sure that's okay. right. Good. So, but just go uh, with it. I think yeah. Right. Fine. Right. But it, there has been some uh, a couple of suggestions, and, and namely from Jonathan and Mitch as well, who uh, were a little bit more used to that when they were at their former lives at Merrill Lynch of of doing more formal performance reviews, and we appreciate that and love that feedback and suggestions. So we decided to implement that. So let's just uh, hop right in a bit, Nate, and discuss a little bit more about what's gone on so far this year. What's uh, what's done well, what hasn't done well. Uh, we'll say this with the compliance caveat of, you know, we're going to talk about specific sorts of in- investments, but they're just used as as examples. Um, you know, if we say that that a mid-cap fund or a large-cap fund did a particular sort of rate of return, it's a general rate of return. It's a, We're looking at some of these spiders and other investments that are out there that are generally ETFs. So we're, we're quoting performance metrics Based on those, um, using this Y charts program, we're going to post those all on our blog um, and just have those as charts. Uh, they're not representative of any particular security. Um, you know, some of our clients may have this or that security in their portfolio, but it does not mean that that is their specific performance in there, and it's not reflective of any sort of actual client returns, nor is it in, uh, intended as any sort of investment advice or, or general recommendation. Really, what we're doing is kind of reviewing these broad in- indices and seeing how things have done so far. So with all of those caveats, um, year to date, let's start first, Nate, with the equity markets and talk a bit about that. Uh, you know, what has gone well in the equity markets and uh, what has not? Well, it's an interesting start to the year. Um the first half is uh, is kind of hallmarked, if you will, by uh, a domestic equity market that has done well and international markets that have done well as well, but not quite as good. Um, it's always interesting when we get into these times when we have one index that is um, doing incredibly well because it's easy for people to kind of anchor off of that um, and then assume that that the entire market, and I guess let's take a step back on that because I think that that should be talked about as well. 
When we look at the evening news, that tells us how the S&P 500, the Dow Jones did, the NASDAQ did for the day, right? These are large cap only, U.S. only, uh, you know, global world, but U.S. only indices. So when we say the market, in some cases, people mistake the market by looking at the S&P 500 and assume that's the entire market. That doesn't account for mid-sized U.S. companies. It doesn't account for small-sized U.S. companies. It doesn't account for international companies. It doesn't account for bonds, commodities. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of, of um, market, a lot, a lot of the market that does not get talked about or get represented when we say the market. Unfortunately, that's a little bit of a misnomer. When we say the market on the evening news or when you read it on, uh, on an article, unfortunately, they're only talking in most cases about domestic large cap stocks, uh, you know, your GEs of the world, your Procter & Gamble's of the world. And so those may be doing very well where other parts of the market might not be doing quite as well. That's a great point, Nate. And so when we dive into the actual performance numbers of some of these indexes, um, small caps have done the best this year. And so oftentimes that isn't reflected on an index that's mentioned on the uh, nightly news. It's up over 10% um, this year. And so it's done very well. Now, half of the year, really nothing happened. And then it started to take off when it sort of uh, bottomed out in, in May for the year. Um, you know, then it took off and has done very well since May. Um, and then same thing really for the large cap U.S. stocks. It's up about 7% for the year. So, you know, when you talk about more global portfolios, um, you know, these are components of global portfolios, but then we have the other indexes that haven't performed quite as well. And that is the developed world ex-U.S. market. So that's basically saying uh, European stocks and developed Asian stocks, and uh, those are down three and a half percent. And then uh, emerging markets have had a tough year uh, after being the the highest performing um, out of these general asset classes last year. It's down seven point two four percent. So what's happened in these indexes is, uh, and these are all total returns. So we add dividends um, on top of these. And what's really happened is that the uh, tariffs and kind of the trade war that we're fighting right now has weighed on international stocks with the anticipation that some of these uh, tariff and trade wars will have a negative impact on those. Um, and so what we kind of see is this interesting um, negative correlation between these two types of stocks really during this period of time. And so in most cases, U.S. stocks and international stocks, uh, they don't move lockstep, but they move pretty close to one another in a fairly tight correlation. And right now, it's actually not very correlated at all. So this is one of those times in history when, um, yeah, this is a, a different sort of occurrence in here. Um, and so, you know, as we look to forward performance and we look to price to earnings on each one of those, uh, they tend to be uh, emerging markets and developed markets right now, relatively speaking, are at a lower valuation than the U.S. stock markets. The U.S. stock market is, is fairly highly valued right now relative to the uh, price metrics that we see. So uh, what that means is that we, we think that going forward, the international markets provide a good value um, for investors today. And so you haven't really been paid off for having a global portfolio this year. You were paid off last year for that. And, you know, Nate and I and Jonathan and Mitch, as we design portfolios going forward, one of the things that we look at is, you know, what do we think is going to do well over the next 10 years? Well, um, you know, perhaps we're seeing a, a good time to be uh, a little heavily, uh, more heavily invested in international uh, stocks. 
Yeah, the the uh, the year has been really interesting because if you go back even into March, you saw that the emerging markets were leading the way between U.S. large, U.S. small, developed international, and emerging international. Um, inter, uh, excuse me, emerging um, international was leading the way. It was, it was the, the top performer between those four, uh, and now it's it's lagging uh, those four, the, uh, the you know the, the worst of the four uh, by quite a healthy margin. So, you know, even within a calendar year, we can have uh, an asset class that gets off to a fast start and then lags as the year goes on. We can have asset classes that stumble a little bit in the beginning and then get hot throughout the year. So these are all reasons why we are huge, huge believers in staying diversified and staying properly asset allocated, and will always be that way uh, as far as, as, as our firm and, and how Walkner Condon decides to manage money because the prediction and the predictability of these markets is just too difficult for any person or even computer, for that matter, to be able to do on an accurate basis or on a long-term basis um, if you would have looked at emerging markets in March, you would have said this is going to have a home run year. And now you look at it and it's down over 7% for the year. So trying to understand kind of what, what is going to be the flavor of the, the month, the quarter, the year um, by way of, of sector or, or segment of the market is, is almost impossible. And I also want to throw in too that for these um, quarterly reviews that we're going to do uh, on our podcast series, uh, very, very uh, uh, little will be predictive. Okay, that's not what we do. We just got done kind of explaining the reason why you should not try to predict the market. You're not going to hear a lot of pontification or predictions um, from Clinton and I or anybody else that sits in the booth in regard to these. Uh, this is designed to tell you kind of what happened, why it happened, um, and to uh, potentially foreshadow um, what you know, kind of news trends might have an impact on the market, but this is no way, shape, or form going to uh, try to predict the future or tell you where uh, the hot asset class is going to be a quarter from now or a year from now. No, we can talk about value and, you know, what might be uh, richly valued um, or uh, a good value from a perspective of historics, but, um, you know, to predict that's very difficult. I mean, emerging markets, uh, even though they're at a low valuation right now, um, there's nothing to say that it might not go down another 10% uh, or 20%. It's a highly volatile asset class. So uh, I think you're exactly right, Nate. Um, we're not trying to do that. We're more looking at what's happened in the past. Um, and we do, you know, we have to, we, we are forced to make some bets inside of our portfolios, but we're not tactical uh, managers in that we're not being 100% stock one day and then 100% cash the other day. We, we believe that that's a form of market timing that we are not going to participate ever in our portfolios, um, nor are we going to defense. Uh, we might defense against a down market and not be down as much as the overall market, but we're not set up to build our portfolios where somebody makes money uh, when the market goes down. So we're not a, a hedge fund strategy or a bear market uh, investor. We believe that stocks go up over long periods of time, and our investors uh, will be able to benefit from that if they have a long time horizon. So it's really important to uh, keep that long time horizon into uh, account, and and also to think, you know, where you are in the cycle. You know, we've heard from a few clients, and this is a, a valid question. You know, hey, my 401k is up, um, or my other investment is up, and how come you guys are 
are uh, you know even or down or what have you, and it's like, well, we run diversified portfolios, and international portfolios are down, and we'll go through a few other asset classes that are down at the same time. You know, it's because we are diversified that sometimes it works for us and sometimes it works against that. So if you blindly bought the S&P 500 this year and you just held it, hey, you're happy. I mean, it's not a bad deal. Or if you bought a large company fund, I mean, you're up 7%. You know, that sounds pretty good. Well, you know, you, you've got to put it among the uh, constraints of how much risk you want to take and all these other things and how you want to diversify. So, um, you know, we build portfolios for the long term and, and are not always going to outperform and not, not always going to underperform. And I wouldn't consider us under or outperforming this year. We're just well diversified. And so one asset class has just happened to do better. And if you have that exposure to that asset class, that's great. Um, we try not to be t- too myopic in our portfolios and say, okay, U.S. is the only game in town because it's only... Uh, you know, GDP-wise, uh, there's a lot of GDP outside of the U.S., and we want to make sure that we're taking advantage of that. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk more about the bond market. Um, I think that's an area where a lot of people have confusion and don't, don't quite understand how bonds work. We're not going to get deep into a bond explanation um, or, or um, kind of a background of how they work because we would literally bore people to tears. But um, let's just talk about a few kind of basics of the bond market. Generally speaking, when interest rates go up, bond values go down. Okay, why this is interesting or important is because uh, the bond market hasn't seen meaningful losses or or losses in value in uh, you could almost go back uh, literally uh, two decades. Um, it's not that exact. There are t- periods of time within the last twenty years where where they have lost value, but this is um, one of the first times in, in a long, long time where we've actually seen interest rates start to go up as opposed to um, kind of precipitously falling over the last 20 years. And with that being said, we're seeing bond valuations uh, go down. Uh, and that's interesting for people because, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that think that bonds only go up in value. Uh, they're safe, they're conservative, so therefore they only go up in value and they make me a safe, conservative rate of return every single year, no questions about it. Well, if you look at your bond holdings this year, uh, that's, a, that's a different story. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, it's a very interesting bond market right now, and um, it's so hard to pick where when interest rates are going to stabilize. Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a breaking point of where it eventually, you know, the, we cannot continue to raise rates, but we still have some runway there, it appears. So right now, if you're in short-term bonds, you've really held the line well. Um, you know, we ran kind of a short-term corporate bond index in this. Uh, it's up about 0.5%. Um, you know, an intermediate uh, corporate bond index is, is down a little bit, uh, less than 1%. And then you get to the other ones. Uh, you know, if you're in long-term treasury bonds, um, that's off almost 4% for the year. Um, you know, long-term corporate bonds, uh, you're, you're almost down 6% for the year. And, and emerging market bonds uh, start off really hot, actually, and we're doing very well. And then uh, since the trade war, uh, stuff kind of came around, and we've seen the, uh, the dollar rally as well. Um, you know, it's down over 10% for the year. So that's been a pretty large loss in that asset category. Um, so, you know, that, that's again, a little bit more volatile bonds inside of there. Um, so, you know, overall we have seen bond losses across most categories, unless you were in really short term bonds. Uh, so that is something that is new to people. Um, that does not mean that you shouldn't have any exposure to bonds. It does, however, mean that, um, this might be one of those periods of time where 
if the stock market does go down, bonds aren't necessarily going to rally. Um, in some cases they are, but um, you know, in this case it may or may not. Um, and so right now we're kind of stuck in that weird bond moment of waiting for interest rates to kind of hit their happy medium. And between now and then, we're likely to see more losses in bonds. Now, I mean, a bad bond year is losing 5%. Uh, so let's, let's you know, kind of take that into context. When a bad year in the stock market, you could lose, you know, like in 2007, it lost, uh, you know, 38% in the S&P 500. So, I mean, we've got to put this all into context and understand that uh, bonds have a different risk profile than stocks and, and a bad year there is not the same as the bad year in uh, in a bad year bonds is not the same as the bad year in stocks. Yeah. 0809 really showed us, you know, kind of how bad the stock market can get, um, you know, relative to, to the other markets. Um, but just because something was bad for a period of time does not mean that we um, kind of bail on it forever. And that, that's the, the message here. Um, and as Clint said, I mean, you had emerging market bonds that went from up almost 5%. They were up almost 5%, um, you know, in, into April, and now they're down uh, over 10 for the year. That's a 15% swing in a bond investment um, in, you know, a handful of months. And, and so th- that can happen, and, and that's that doesn't get talked about. You, you're, you're very rarely going to see the news led with, the bond market uh, had a bad day. I mean, that that's just, that's not going to happen. So unfortunately, people are not aware of what's going on in these markets. And so um, when we build portfolios and we have 10 to 12 to 14 different holdings in a, uh, in a portfolio or in a model, uh, understand that's, that's that many indices that we're covering. And so uh, if we have four or five bond investments in the in the portfolio, and the vast majority of them are down, uh, it, it's going to be a drag on a portfolio. But conversely, um, you know when bonds swing back into favor, uh, people are happy they have them there. So it, it's uh, it's just understanding the portfolio construction and the methodology behind the construction um, more than it is just looking at an interest rate or a, a rate of return over a given period of time and saying, wow. Um, you know, my portfolio is doing really well or it's doing really poorly, uh, again, in, in, over what period of time and compared to what and what is comprising or composing that um, portfolio or that, that allocation is really what matters. As Clint alluded to, you know, we've heard, heard people talking about how their 401ks are doing well. Um, well, is it 80% invested in the S&P 500? Well, if it is, then you, you are having a great year. Um, but if it was 80% invested in the S&P 500 in 08 and 09, uh, you, you weren't real happy at that period of time. So uh, only looking at a rate of return and only looking at it over a period of time um, without comparing it to a different period of time or without comparing it to a different asset class is, uh, is a, a really dangerous way to invest money. That's right. Those are all great points, Nate. Now let's dive in a little bit more about uh, we'll take some alternatives as well, and we lump uh, things that are just not neatly put into stock and bond boxes, and we kind of call them alternative investments. It's not that they're really esoteric investments that we shouldn't consider. I mean, we've used a lot of these in portfolios in the past. Um, Right now, just as a general comment about our portfolios, I I think we're more traditional than we have been um, in the past. Uh, that's really by design. Uh, You know, these alternative asset classes uh, didn't look as attractive to us, so that's uh, you know, so that's one of the reasons why we've kind of divested ourselves from some of these, but we've had c- internal conversations of what are these to add. So, you know, just 
general asset categories there. It could be commodities, natural resources, real estate, gold, uh, managed futures, which is kind of a funky category. When it's real volatile, sometimes it tends to, to do a bit better. Um, just picking out a couple of them to note, you know, what's been the most successful and least successful. Um, commodities have finally started to show a little bit of price appreciation, um, and that's generally due to the fact that you know, oil and gas has done fairly well during that period of time, and we've started to see inflation perk up a bit, which is generally uh, better for commodities. Also, in kind of a late cycle um, of of a recovery, uh, we tend to see commodity prices uh, do better during those periods of time, kind of at the late stages of these rallies when inflation picks up. Um, and then uh, one thing that, that has gone down recently that, that just hasn't done as well has been gold. Uh, so start out the year doing all right, actually, um, but now is is off um, in one of the gold funds that we look at is off about eight and a half percent for the year. So it's just uh, you know gold's kind of fallen out of favor and you know cycle in and out of favor. And, and generally, the more fear we see, um, you know, it is a, a thing that has a, a different correlation statistic to um, stocks. So you know it doesn't necessarily always go up when the stock market goes down. But as a general rule, the more fear and uncertainty we see. Um, the more that rush to safety either goes into long-term treasury bonds or it goes into uh, gold. Those are the a couple uh, more safe haven uh, perceived assets. And with uh, you know with long-term treasuries now uh, coming under some pressure with rising interest rates, um, you know gold is one of those asset classes. We've actually been having more conversations about um, with our clients and just in general uh, throughout the office. So. Uh, you know, it might be if we're looking for opportunity out there and maybe something we consider in the future is uh, in addition of some gold to, to portfolios. Um, just keep in mind that it's not a super tax efficient thing and should probably be domiciled in IRAs. And so we've had internal discussions over that. And that's one asset category that we've continued to monitor. The other ones, uh, not much is happening with, you know, there's been a little bit of increase in, uh, you know, the real estate, U.S. real estate funds and natural resources and but it's been pretty modest across the board. So, uh, you know, I can't say that any alternatives are super exciting performance-wise now. Usually when you look at alternatives, uh, they, they have a different sort of risk profile where you're seeing um, a little bit more of a, you know, some of them are way up or way down, and, and that's not really the case this year. So, um, so you know, alternatives are, are something that we've considered in the past, people could consider for their portfolios. Um, if you're a traditionalist, um, stocks and bonds are usually what, what most people focus on. Yeah, the, um, kind of the, the the common theme that we tend to uh, always focus on is uh, if you can kind of keep a base portfolio of of your, um, you know, kind of favorite spots that you want to be in for us, that is, you know, U.S. large, U.S. mid, U.S. small, developed international, emerging international, um, and then the bond holdings that we like to, to have, um, you're generally going to find positive returns over, um, you know, longer, if you give it enough time, it works. Uh, we like to say that our portfolios don't work every time they work over time, uh, which means that if we give them enough time and if we build it the correct way, um, you know, you'll, you will see positive rates of return, but there are periods of time and, and that's the, you know, the divergence of the markets is really what tends to get people, um, making bad decisions really more than anything else is when we start to see, uh, you know, the S&P 500 rolling like it is right now. But some of the other asset classes, <clears throat> excuse me, asset classes not doing as well, we tend to have people then want to start to chase those high returns. So what happens is I've seen the S&P 500 go up by X amount of percent this year. 
I want to have more of that because I want that euphoria of that that double digit rate of return. And then they load it up on the S&P 500 because it's done well over time, which unfortunately just means that the price has been inflated then. They lump a bunch of money in, the S&P 500 then turn and goes the other direction, and they can continue to chase that cycle of front runners. And so uh, our view of the world is, you know, let's play let's play the soccer match like professionals play soccer, where you spread the, the, the team out, you move the ball effectively from one player to another, and you get the ball down the field. A lot of investors, unfortunately, want to invest money like five-year-olds play soccer, which is the ball goes one direction and every player on the field chases after the ball and then the ball goes a different direction and everybody chases it after that. It's been a long time since I've done that analogy. I love that, that analogy. Sac- it's one of my favorite soccer analogy. Yeah, it's well, kind of a... Now that I have a five-year-old, it really means a lot, actually. You because, kind, of, uh, kind of understand what, what totally. that means. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, we, we, it, it obviously has a, has a kind of a humorous uh, uh, image to it. But at the same time, uh, unfortunately, it tends to be uh, more accurate than we would want it to be when we see how some people invest money. And so while, uh, you know, the, the, the Vegas-style euphoria exists when we chase front runners, let's be very, very careful of doing that because... Um, more times than not, uh, that that which is in favor today or this week or this month or this year uh, will likely not be in favor, um, you know, next week, next month, next year. And so let's be a little careful of only chasing front runners because, uh, you know, the, if, if you weren't in before they were a front runner and then you get in when they're a front runner, you're likely not to con- continue that level of, of uh, you know, of positive performance. And so, um, we can either try to guess really, really well, or we can spread our money out and have money in the places that are doing well um, more times than not. Yeah, and we've said that we won't uh, f- make forecasts here, but I will um, leave the audience with one slide that you can see on the blog um, that we will write, and that is, uh, you know, we did a 10-year equity return uh, snapshot, and the 10-year equity returns of the uh, S&P 500 are about 172% over that 10-year period. So it's been a nice, you know, 10-year period, obviously. Um, and then if you look at the developed markets, they're up 45, and the emerging markets are up almost 30. So, I mean, it's a huge difference in performance over there. So we just kind of said on the slide as the title, what is next? And you know what? We don't know what's next. That's the whole beauty of investing in stocks. But um, this is also why we diversify, because if this chart flips in the next 10 years and you don't have money in those other spots um, and the U.S. market is the one that's flatter, that's that's something definitely to consider. So that's why uh, you know when we're in this office and we get calls and we appreciate those calls from people that say, hey, you know, why am I not you know, why am I not keeping up with the S&P or whatever? And we tell them you're, you're diversified and you're a long term investor and we're not concerned about short time uh, time horizons here. So. You know, sometimes performance will diverge and sometimes it'll come together. And, um, you know, over long periods of time, we believe that it works well. So um, thank you for joining us on this episode of Give Me Some Truth. We hope that you enjoyed it. You hope We hope that uh, you got some information from us on um, the market commentary. Please do not hesitate to leave us any comments or ask any questions, and we'd be happy to uh, delve into those in future episodes. Um, we have another episode coming up um, shortly that's going to deal with a little bit more about uh, portfolio construction and some of the core tenants that we have inside of Walkner Conant for investment management. So we wanted to dive into that a little further, and uh, thank you for joining us. you got to leave your 
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.